Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Thank you so much. It's um, really lovely to be with you. I know some of you, or at least I've met some of you. I'm not sure how well I know you. I know one young lady pretty well. I won't tell you who she is, um, but it's really lovely to be with you, and uh, particularly because I've prayed for you. I know that as a church, you've been going through some difficult times, and so it's a great privilege to be among you. Um, the passage that uh, Effie just read for us this morning was the passage that came immediately to my mind when Ralph called me and asked if I would come and share some thoughts about forgiveness. <clears throat> the last time I spoke on forgiveness, it was for about three hours. <laughs> it was a teaching uh, for those of us involved in healing ministry. So trying to bring something in just a very short time uh, is challenging. But I, I want to start with a question. Um, uh, where do you know things? Do you, do you, where do you contain what you know? Up here, yes. Okay, anybody else got any alternative places? I mean, maybe your feet. Oh, we've got some hearts here. How many people here have got qualifications like degrees or A-levels or O-levels or G oh, they're GCSEs now, aren't they? Yeah, how many people have got some kind of work qualification, any kind of qualification? Anybody? Okay, I'm presuming that you had to kind of work for that. You had to do sort of some kind of exams, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're very conditioned, aren't we, to um, taking on information here. But um, let me ask you a question, another one. Uh, how many of you would say that you know something of the Bible? You, you, you know something of the Bible? You, you've read it? You know something? Yeah. Okay, and um, would you kind of contain that here as well? You've, you've memorized verses maybe, and so you kind of, yeah. Okay, let me rephrase the question. How many of you here know Jesus? Where do you, where do you know him? Okay, they're the same, of course. You know, the living word of God is Jesus. Okay, so how can we have it that you might know something of the Bible up here, but you know Jesus here. Of course, it's not a separation because you're all one being, but I'm just trying to make a point here that this morning, I'd really like to speak to you here. And to do that, I've been praying that my heart will be open to the heart of Jesus, and I want to speak to you heart to heart. Is, is, is that something that we can do? Okay, well, that's really good. Um, in our passage... What do you think was, was Peter's motive? Do you remember at the beginning, Peter asked Jesus a question. How many times do I have to give someone? Seven times? I mean, for Peter, that would be a lot. You know, he'd be thinking he's pushing the boat. He spent three years or however long it was at that time with Jesus. He's got to know Jesus a bit. So he's kind of saying, oh, I know, I think I know what the answer is going to be here. You know, is it seven times? And... Uh, you know, what do you think was in his heart? Do you think he was counting? Or what was behind? What was the motive? Have you thought about that? 
Yeah, a little bit earlier in that same account from Matthew, they're talking about who's the greatest. And uh, there could be lots of other motives. Has anybody seen The Chosen? Yeah, do you know what I love most about that? That the writers have really portrayed the disciples as live human beings. And all of the struggles and all of the infighting and all of that. So just hold that thought. Um, what was in Peter's mind? What was he driving at? Why did he ask Jesus that question? Who else was around? Who was listening? And of course, typically, Jesus then comes out with an answer. And his answer wasn't... Um, he, he, he said 70 times 7, didn't he? But that, that wasn't a number that could be calculated. He, he started by saying... The kingdom of God is like this. And that's what I just sort of like to share a little bit about this morning. What does the kingdom of God look like? And is that the kind of culture that we have in our churches? You know, as I've prayed for you as a church, I just want to honor your leaders. Because... Um, from what I understand, the little that I have um, been involved in sharing a little, um, I want to honour the way that you have dealt with challenges over the last few years, but also want to honour all of you because you're here. Simple, isn't it? Are you going to stay here? Going to go. And what does that say about the nature of God's kingdom? Where are we going with all of this? You know, there are so many angles that we could look at forgiveness from. So many things that we could talk about. But Paul, and let's think about Paul in his former life as well as in his anointed life as an apostle. Paul said this. And remember, he knew a lot. He knew scriptures like probably nobody else. And he said this, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this morning, I believe that the Lord wants us to come to that place. That Do you feel like you know Jesus and what it means to know him in his crucifixion? It's been a prayer of mine for many, many years. So I don't feel like I've even come near to knowing what that is like. But God helps us. He comes to us. He opens himself to us so that we can deal with the real things that need to be dealt with rather than all the other stuff. You know, we live in a very um, challenging time in history. And I believe what God is doing with you as a church is what he's doing with the church all over the world right now. God is reforming his church. He's doing something really important with his people across the world. You know, we talk about revivals. You know, a characteristic of revival is that it happens in locations so far. There are revival places We've got more in England than, or the British Isles, than anywhere else on earth. Did you know that? 
well, those that are documented anyway. What's happening now is there a move of God which is across the whole earth. It's not happened like that before. Maybe not at all, who am I to say? But God is moving across the earth right now, and we get to be a part of that. The fact that you're here this morning demonstrates that you are a part of what God is doing in the whole earth. And your job is to be faithful to what he's doing here among you, but know that it's connected to what he's doing everywhere. And it's all about his kingdom, and it's about the real nature of his kingdom. And there's only two kingdoms. There is no third way. It's not possible to sit on the fence. You cannot have a foot in both kingdoms. You either belong to one or you belong to the other. Do you know which one you belong to? And I'm not being deliberately provocative here. Well, maybe I am, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I am. <laughs> but actually, one of the good things that's happening at the moment is there's far greater distinction between those two kingdoms now that is evident than perhaps when I grew up, which is, you know, in the last century. Um, everybody thought that being a Christian meant that you led a good life. That's what I grew up with, that you, you were a good person. That's what it meant to be a Christian. Nowadays, I believe that the challenge for us is much more clear. We have to be very clear what it means to be a child of God, to be a citizen of his kingdom. Because the world is completely different. The word toxic is used a lot these days, and that is very true. There is a lot of poison around the world right now. And we need to be really careful that we don't take that poison into ourselves, into our families, into our church communities. This is an opportunity for the church to be very distinct. And to do that, we need to be clear about how, how that happens. Let's go back to the parable. Did the guy in the parable receive forgiveness? Great. What did he receive forgiveness for? A lot of people like to sort of calculate the relative debt, yes. They like to calculate, you know, what's the equivalent in this, oh, millions of dollars, I think it said in that translation. Um, <laughs> missing the point. <laughs> what, what was going to happen to him and his family if he didn't pay the debt? The whole family, including him, were going to get chucked in prison. It was an unpayable debt. It couldn't be quantified. It was going to cost him absolutely everything, life itself. Have any of you experienced what it's like to have an unpayable debt? You know, I, I was brought up well, I lived a good life, as I said, being Christians, being a good person. And uh, so I was doing okay. I enjoyed being good, actually, because there's always rewards in being good. I couldn't understand why my sister didn't like being good, because... She just got into trouble and it didn't seem to me like a good idea. Um, so I carried on through life in this way. Um, God had to God had to allow me to fall badly, not just once, not just twice, not three times. I had to fall badly before I knew that I had an unpayable debt in my life. 
I thought I was okay. I thought I was doing okay. I was living to serve God. I loved God. I only wanted to please God. I thought I was doing okay. I did not know that I had that kind of sin in my life. I just was not aware of it. But I thank God that he let me fall so badly that I was on the floor pleading for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace. That's when I discovered what grace was like. Just the beginning I discovered, just a little bit. So this guy had an unpayable debt and he was going to be thrown in prison. Did, um, did the master take long to forgive him? Did he, did he have to do anything? It's just there, wasn't it? It was just kind of like, he just did it. He saw him groveling. He took pity on him because he asked. And he said, okay, cancelled. He gave him freedom. He released him from the inevitable prison. That's what forgiveness is about. It's being released from a prison. And most of us don't realize it's us. It's we who have the key to the prison. If you're blaming someone else for your prison, look again. He was given that freedom. So what happened? Why did he end up in jail? How, how, how did that happen? Yeah, it says it, doesn't it? What does it say at the end? It says, um, that's what's going to happen to you unless you forgive from your heart. The first um, miracle that I ever witnessed uh, was as a result of forgiveness. I was at a meeting, and uh, the, in the meeting, the person leading had been talking about forgiveness and had led people in a prayer to forgive someone that maybe they were at odds with. And uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle in the row behind me, and I turned around and I saw this lady, and she had very deformed hands. You know, I don't know if anybody has rheumatoid arthritis, or if you know someone, it's the one where your hands kind of end up a bit like that. And they get stuck in that position because the joints all seized up. And I love that word about oil this morning. We'll come back to that. Um, so, but this lady, she still had deformed hands, but she was doing this. And she was testifying to the fact she'd been able to forgive someone that she'd been bitter about for many years. What I saw, for those who don't know, I'm a doctor, what I saw was a woman who was moving her hands in a way that wasn't possible. She still had the deformity. Very important to remember that. I was with another man in Northern Ireland once who also had the same experience. He had rheumatoid arthritis. The Lord showed him that he needed to forgive, and he had a whole journey, but he was the same. And I asked him, I said, what do you think about the fact that you've still got deformed hands, even though you can move them? He said, oh, he said, that's so important. He said, because it's evidence of how I was. They were released from being in a fixed position. Forgive, unforgiveness fixes us in a place that we can't escape from. There's only one key, and the Lord offers it. It's very simple. 
What's the biggest hindrance to forgiving, do you think? Well, I've been thinking about this. I think it's because we want to control the outcome. You know, if you've been wounded very badly, it's very natural to want the other person to suffer as a result of it, isn't it? I was with a lady, her son was shot. Funnily enough, I've been, well, not funny enough at all, but strangely enough, I happen to have been with many people whose sons have been shot. This lady lived on the Falls Road in Belfast, <clears throat> and uh, she was leading praise in a prayer meeting, and I talked with her, and she told me what happened to her son, only a teenager. What I experienced was rage, hatred. I hadn't experienced hatred before because I'd had no cause to experience hatred before. But when she told me the story, I was absolutely outraged. She was free. She was praising God. She had forgiven. It's a remarkable thing. But if you've been wounded deeply, then you want something to happen to that person. They've got to, there's got to be a payment, hasn't there? Who paid the debt in the parable that we heard? The master did. It didn't just, you know, float out of nowhere. He paid that debt by not receiving it. There has to be a payment. That's the nature of wrongs being put right. There has to be a payment. But so often we want to determine what that payment is and how it's paid. You know, this is why the cross is an offence to so many of us. Because in our human minds, we see someone being let off the hook, don't we? It just doesn't seem fair. It's not right. But what are we doing? Do you know what we're doing? We're judging God. Does that sound strange? We're judging God and we're saying, you are not bringing justice. You're not bringing justice according to what I understand as justice. Judging God started in the Garden of Eden, of course. That's what Satan led Adam and Eve into, was a position where they had to make a decision about who they were going to listen to. And Satan fed them the lie, and they believed him and judged God as being not true. And that's why they ate the fruit. And that's what we do. Do you know that's why Jonah ran away? Jonah ran away... Because he knew God's nature. He was a prophet. So he actually knew God's nature. And he knew that if he went to the Ninevites, and if he actually preached his message and said, repent, he knew that God would forgive them if they repented. But what he also knew, because he was a prophet, was that actually, having been forgiven, the Ninevites were then going to come and attack the Israelites again. And that's why he ran away. 
he was judging God. And he said, that is not right. Why would you forgive a people when they're going to come and attack us again? And that's what we do. God, how could you forgive that man when he might do the same again? What's the key to this whole story, the whole parable that Jesus taught? It's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Peter was asking a question that came from his humanity. How many times? I'm going to count them. I've forgiven them five times now. They've only got two more goes. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is just completely different. Kingdoms take on the nature of the king. This world is under the rule of the prince of this world, not a king, the prince of this world. And therefore, in the measure that the world goes along with his lies, we will see the outcomes of that. We have a king whose nature... Let me, let me, how would you describe God's nature? Anybody? Did you read, did you, I haven't got any notes, so you couldn't have read them. Yes. Exodus 34. Moses said to God, I want to see your glory. In other words, I want to see what you're like. God's glory is his nature made manifest. That's the way I like to see it. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. He's the physical representation. Well, Hebrews says the exact representation of his being. Moses asked to see God's glory. And the Lord said, well, that's going to be too much for you. So firstly, I'm going to hide you so that you're not going to be exposed to my glory because it will kill you. And secondly... I'll, I'll go past you. You can see my, my vapor trail, if you like. You just get to see me after I've gone past. And as he passed in front of Moses, he described himself and he said this, The Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The, the parable that we heard was about a king that was merciful. That was his nature and that is the nature of his kingdom. And from that merciful nature flows forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a legal transaction. There's a debt to be paid. You pay it, it's cleared. 
That's what the servant experienced. That's all he wanted, clearance of his debt. But actually, God said, or the master said, but you can't, you can't stay in this kingdom. You, you can't because you are not prepared to be in the nature of this kingdom. That's why he was excluded. Permanent torture and torment. It sounds very harsh, doesn't it? But he got the opportunity to receive mercy. He received forgiveness, but he didn't want the mercy because he wanted to stay in his own place. He wanted to be in that fixed position. He knew what he wanted. He wasn't going to change. His heart was not touched by the mercy of the master. What about us? See, mercy is the essential quality of God's kingdom culture. We live in a world where we are now encouraged to make judgments on anything, anyone, everyone, everything. It starts in school. Children are taught to formulate their own opinions rather than being taught what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is not good. No, you, you decide. You develop your own opinions. Do you know what opinions are? They're idols. That's what opinions are. I think this. I think that. You can think what you like. I'll let you have your idol. This is mine. I think this and I'm right. Because only I can decide who's right. I'll let you decide that you're right. That's okay. You can carry on with that. It's so subtle, isn't it? It's the same as that comedian used to say. May your God go with you. You have your God, I'll have my God. See, you know, we can all get on that way, can we? Except now it's escalated to the level that we're now deciding. Actually, no, um, no, I'm deciding now that your God's actually, if you behave in that way, that actually means that you cannot, you cannot be allowed to feature in our society anymore. I'm going to cancel you going to de-platform you. All these other terms that have now come in. We must have such massive dictionaries now. Um, all of that is the result of one thing, and it is we become the judge. The master was the one who executed judgment. But as with the Ark of the Covenant, remember, there's the law inside the box. But what covers the box? Anybody? Mercy seat. The law is inside the box. The law doesn't change. Jesus said, nothing's going to change. The law stands. That's God's word. It stands. But... God has made provision for that ever since the beginning. When he describes his nature, he says, the Lord 
the Lord. Why twice? He's not schizophrenic. The way that the Jewish rabbis interpret that is the first word that is used for the Lord. The Lord, uh, it's the name, and it means mercy. And they say the first time he says the Lord, he's the merciful one who anticipates our sin. And the second time he says the Lord, that's the one who forgives the sin that we've just committed, that he anticipated that we would. (laughs) He's got it all covered. He's merciful from beginning to end. He's not just merciful because he needed to think up a plan because we broke the first set of the tablets. He's got it all covered. And what we need to know today here is his nature because he loves you. And what we need to know today is not just that we are forgiven and that he wants us to forgive others. He wants us to know the nature of his mercy. If you will receive his heart, you will forgive because it flows from a merciful heart. And so I'd like to pray. I'll tell you a little story just before I pray. Met two ladies, again in Northern Ireland. So it's all about Northern Ireland this morning. Um, these are two other ladies. They had both been victims of family shootings. And like so many, they knew that they needed to forgive. And they had forgiven those who had shot their loved ones. But in a gathering, <clears throat> what we recognized was that they still carried the wounds. And that's what I'd like to pray for us this morning, that my sense is that in this place, that there are many who still carry wounds, maybe wounds from childhood, it may be wounds from yesterday. Wounds take on all sorts of different natures. But, Lord, I pray that right now you would show us your merciful heart. You tell us that we are a people who have come into being because of mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you did not know mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lord, help us to open our hearts right now. To receive your mercy, Lord, so that we might be those who extend your mercy. Help us, Lord, in this journey that we're on right now. Pray that you'd pour the oil of your spirit, your healing oil onto our wounds. Help us to reach out and to touch the wounds of Jesus. The wounds that are the mark of his love for us.
Heal us, Lord, and we shall be healed. Just encourage you to open any woundedness that you're carrying right now to the Lord. His love for you is total. He wants to come and to bring healing. And Lord, as you pour that healing into our wounds, as we receive your love, your mercy, Lord, would you create in us merciful, forgiving hearts. Give us right now the power of your spirit to speak those words. Father, forgive them. They know not what they Hope do. you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.